We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I um, you know, I was just I was just curious though. You were te- I was asking you about your YouTube channel because you were yeah. saying how there is a little bit of a different look now that you've you know in recently you've changed it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely have. So, and I've been doing the YouTube thing for a few years, and then I laid off of it for a while. I really wish I hadn't. Right? It's like it, it's like uh, working out. Like you just if you don't stop doing it, it's not an absolute difficult you know hill to overcome in the future. And I stopped doing YouTube, finally got back into it, and I'd been doing videos since January pretty consistently, and I decided in the last couple of weeks that I wanted to change my style up, and I actually, and now we were just talking about this, do you remember the show with Joel McHale called Talk Soup? Of course. I mean, dude, dude that was a staple show, yeah. Of so, so good. Just yeah, the, your, your new videos do have that Talk Soup element to it. You're that, right about that. Yeah, I, I got, I just fell in love with what he was doing, and I was thinking about where I've always tried to do the comedy side of things, and I've always wanted to educate and entertain, and it's like, how do you fuse the two? And he just has that dryness to his humor, which Joel McHale only can really pull off, and So the new videos, at least the last probably four or five of them have really taken on sort of that shape and form. And the responses, it's crazy because the subscribers have grown along the way, but the response from the same group of subscribers is, is incredible. It's a 180 degree difference from me making videos just a few months ago. Well, if you're any content creator, if you look back at your videos from a year ago, and you're not if you don't have the douche chills like, oh, my God, I can't believe I made that. You're not doing it yeah, right because yeah, you're supposed to yeah, be yeah. constantly evolving. And, yeah, you know, it's you talk about like, you know, a million people are on YouTube right now, but it's still not too late because it's changing again, like what actually works on YouTube. I mean, I'm sure there was a time we were just posting audio clips also up on YouTube. And, you know, you're obviously you've modernized what you're doing now. Right. It, no, you're exactly right, too. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people. um, you know, get, get in their own way when it's creating content, whether it's writing, whether it's making a podcast, whether it's starting this thing, because the two hurdles are, I'm never going to catch up to the guy in front of me. And who's going to listen to this? Who's going to want to consume it? And it's like, naturally, right? Like if you create good content, inherently the people will find you. And the one thing I can say about YouTube is even the people that I watch that I'm not the biggest fan of their content, because I'm trying to consume so much because I want to be innovative because I want to study from the other people and see what they're doing right and wrong. 
you watch even the people that maybe you're not a fan of grow along the way too. Like nobody is stunted by, by the growth. Like if you work at it, you will get there. Yeah, no, you absolutely. It's so funny you say that because I, you're so concerned. It's natural because you're making something. You're like, who the hell is listening to this? Right. So when yes. you obviously you welcome the feedback, but just as, as you're trying to be like, ah, oh, this guy or this person is doing it so much better than me. There's yes. 17,000 other people underneath you saying the same thing about your stuff. Yeah. And you learn that along the way. I, it's, it really is amazing, you know, cause I listen to you guys on the Sonic truth, right? I mean, I, I don't miss an episode. I haven't for some time. And it's like, I just, I'm not even listening. Sometimes I'm not even listening to the content itself. I'm listening to the delivery method. I'm listening to the technical parts of it. And, and I get depressed sometimes because I'm like, ah, how am I going to be able to get oh, to okay. that? You know, but right. But that, I'm saying, yeah. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, then yeah. I look back from a year ago. I'm like, oh, wow, I did. You know, it's like when you go to the gym, you do. Oh, I can lift more. Yes. I can do this. So, yes, we all experience that. It's really good to hear you say that, though. Yeah, it's well, it's one of those things, man. And I've always thought about like I've always been been, you know, into the athletic side of things and try and work out. And I, I always bring it back to like a gym analogy just for myself, because. Every time you see someone else in the gym that's fitter or lifting more weight and you're envious of them, the one thing you have to think about is there might be somebody in the gym that's envious of where you're at today. So even though mm. you might look at yourself and go, man, I, I don't like where I'm at right now, there's other people that are so far behind that that are like, damn, I wish I could get to there. And the one thing that I've had to do just because of my growth in the content creation world is kind of go, look, there's guys that are way ahead of you. And as long as you don't let trying to chase them down, consume you, you'll continue mm. to make content. It'll end up being great. You'll have fun doing it. And that's truly the key, right? Like the, me and Ryan Lopes, I miss Ryan Lopes. We used to say like the day that we're not having fun doing this anymore, that's the day that we're done. Mm. You know, the, you know, that's interesting that you say it like that too, because you think about like all these problems that you have as a content creator and obviously problems, air quotes, whatever, sure. but those are things that a year ago you wanted so badly. Now you have those things. I mean, there was a time where I was just a caller to, to Byron and Alex's show. I was a guy that called in, you know, just a yeah, yeah, playing yeah. fantasy football. And then, you know, two years later from, you know, just sending them stuff. And, and then I was starting to work with them. And then, you know, that led to this opportunity now that I'm over at Roadwise. So it, it's amazing. Cause I stress over these same things too. And it, it's, <laughs> It's, it is crazy, the journey it takes. So I, I've been fascinated to watch you guys. It's uh, I'm curious, how did you and Matt start doing your podcast? How long have you guys been doing it for? Well, um, yeah, so we've been doing it. We're, so it's funny. We were in Las Vegas here recently. I'm, I'm sure you saw some of these clips. First time we've ever met in our life. That was after six years of podcasting together. And when, you know, this is, this is where I talk about like not, not beating yourself up over the lack of growth that you're maybe seeing, because when Matt and I started, I had about a thousand followers on Twitter. He had about 4,000 followers on Twitter. And this is years ago. And by the way, he's three X where I'm at today. So, uh, so back, back in 2000, I think we figured this out 2016 range. Um, I was a writer over at field goals for Danny Kelly. Who's with the ringer. Now he was the editor over there. Mm. Um, and I told him, I was like, listen, man, I really want to start a dynasty podcast. There's this thing you own, you know, you keep your players forever. You can trade them. If you do a terrible job, you're the worst team in the league for a lifetime. And I was like, I really want to start a podcast here with the field goals support it. And Danny goes, yeah, man, absolutely. Cause I was doing fantasy content. So at the time I was searching around, like who would be the perfect 
co-host at the time I was looking for a co-host, right? Never knew that, that I was going to be the co-host. <laughs> and um, so I'm searching around looking for who would be the right fit. And at the time, me and Matt Kelly both had these avatars. We were both really chippy trolls. We were both, you know, constantly trying to come up with innovative, creative ways, whether it was, you know, digging on things or finding stats that other people weren't looking at. And I reached out to him one time and we had never talked on the phone or anything. Was it via Twitter? You sent yeah, out this like a was Twitter via DM. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is where we met was via Twitter. So I DM him and I go, Hey man, I go, I'm starting this podcast where I want to start a podcast and I'm looking for a co-host. I'm going to do this dynasty format, yada, yada. And he goes, he goes, Hey, I really like this. He goes, here's my number. Give me a call. So I call Matt Kelly, you know, kind of infancy of Matt Kelly, call him up. We talk on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes. He's like, I, I love it, man. And so we, we start the podcast on field goals and I do all the editing for the first year. So by the way, if you guys have listened, what you have to a Matt Kelly podcast, the editing on those podcasts is insanity, right? Insanity. Like, insanity. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's that's why I owe it to the podcast. When you guys do it, I listen from the beginning and to the last, the last sound, because I was like, I know how much work goes into that as an editor myself. Oh my God. It's so yeah. much. And so I did it for the first year. And finally I told Matt, I was like, I got to tap out. I go, I cannot do, I can't do this editing. And so it's because the way that he wanted it, right. He was a perfectionist from the beginning. Um, and, and anyways, eventually uh, we had some episodes and Matt was like, look, man, we need to, let's move this to my platform. Let's find a better space for this. And we moved it to the Roto Underworld network. And then, you know, the next thing was like, it just took off. Um, and ever since then, you know, it's obviously been one of the bigger dynasty podcasts there is. So six years ago in a long winded way of answering your question. Yeah, no, I, I want the long story. I mean, yeah. I'm interested in your origin story. I, you know, I had heard of you guys a couple of years back before, you know, before we started interacting. So it goes back four years ago on the peripheral. I had heard, you know, I heard people talking about the podcast that you guys had done mm -hmm. and I didn't really, you know, I, I was like, for a while I just ignored it. And then. I just, you know, I gave it a listen one day and I didn't get the joke at first. I was like, what the hell are these two? What are these guys? Do? This is a joke. Right. This, this isn't like a serious thing. Right. And I, I just, and then what happens was we did this draft with uh, roster watch versus yes. wonder world. Yes. And that's when I got the joke. I understood that it is you're trolling everybody in, but you're really coming with high level information. So I haven't missed one since. And just to remind everybody, you know, how, how our, our first interactions goes. I cut a little, a little clip here. Let's just share a few seconds of this of when <laughs> I uh, took Trevor Lawrence in a single quarterback league. Oh, and this is what you wow. and Matt had to say about that. Alan Soslowski going Trevor Lawrence at the 107 in a single quarterback league. Bro. 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 Absolutely egregious and offensive. I'm offended. You're offended. I'm not sure that Trevor Lawrence really comes into play for quite a few more picks. I'm embarrassed to show this mock draft to people now. Alan Soslowski buried them. Probably not. I mean, not to pile on because he said we wouldn't. You remember that one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, man, that's hilarious. That yeah. is... Uh, that's a yeah, clip it, of the clip. Oh God, yeah, I know. That's uh, that's so good. I mean, Trevor Lawrence still hasn't fired. No, no, no. that uh, was the wrong pick. It was yeah, wrong, wrong pick. Wrong pick. Yeah. No, yeah. but I do. So it was so funny because before I was going to come on this show, I was I was driving around today, 
And I was like, damn it. I was like, what was the thing that happened with Alan? Because I, I remember this so vividly, just minus the, the key part. But now that you did it, what a refresher, man. Oh, so let, now let me reveal what's behind the curtain. So when that happened, you know, again, I was just starting to, you know, make a little, I was doing some writing for Roster Watch. And when they, uh, uh, Byron texts me, he says, you're really getting killed right now. I thought my career was over. I mean, it hadn't even started. I had no career. I was I was doing 500 word articles. And I thought it was over because you guys had crushed oh, yeah. me. But I said I I thought about it for a night, and then I came back. I said, "Listen, I, I got to be in on the joke. I got to goof on myself here." I spent you know how long editing takes. That took me oh, yeah. a full day to edit, and you know I put it out there, and you guys showed me love. And ever since then, it's it's uh, it's been kismet. I, I totally, yeah, there you go. I totally, <laughs> well, you I know. totally remember. Um, I totally remember when you did that, uh, when that came out and, and honestly, that for me was like, that, I mean, that was, that was so huge because it's, it's such a tough thing in the fantasy space, especially with what Matt and I do, because we are, we can be trolly. You know, we understand that the basis of our show and we've said it so many times, it's a little bit of a WWF thing, right? Like, Matt and I are, are great friends. We have great respect for each other. And we go at it on episodes. Some of it's scripted. Some of it's not. I think sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Um, but when somebody like you can can take a joke and play off it and, and find the humility in it and just roll with it and create content with it, by the way, which is Thanks. amazing. <laughs> That's really the key. I find a lot of guys in this space that just they can't take a dig or they don't yeah. know how to how to deal with it or spin it or make it funny. I have so many people, um, you know, again, going back to like the struggles of social media and content creation, not everybody's going to love what you make. Right. And a lot of people feel entitled to say things that are pretty negative and, mm. and they don't do it in a funny way. Some guys do it in like a very like offensive manner, but I've had so many people that I've learned over the years, how to do exactly what you did show humility, even if I'm not in the wrong spin it around. And like within one or two tweets later, they're going, mandate, I love your content. I'm just giving you hell. Like, but if I would have played it the other way, we probably would have never responded on Twitter again. I probably would have, you know what I mean? Like yep. it's that give no. and take. So you clearly have that. Um, and I know that you put in the work, man. So I, I appreciate it when you did that. Uh, thank you for saying that, man. But that, you know, that's how it is. It's like, it's uh, like I said, I got the joke. So, you know, moving on to that. Uh, so let me ask a question. So the, uh, everyone knows your handle, the outrage Jew. Yeah. Where, where did that come from? I mean, uh, are you a, uh, you're a Hebrew school guy? Like you did the whole Aleph and bet and Gimel, the whole thing. Uh, I mean, I, so I was born, I was raised in, yeah, in, a, in a Jewish household and um, it's been a while since I have, you know, I've been to temple, I will admit. So for those listening that, that well, know my I make history. The, I make the joke. I'm not Jewish. I'm Jewish. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that, yeah. that's fair. Well, where it, where it started, um, back in the back in 2012, I think I started this account. Um, I was trying to come up with something catchy. Just you know, like everybody on Twitter, and this is way before some of this fantasy stuff took off the way it did. But you know, I was just trying to find something that differentiated me. And I, like you, I was a listener of podcasts. I was listening to Under the Helmet with Chad Parsons before I ever. Before anybody knew who I was or what I was going to end up doing, I had no idea I was going to, yeah. like you, I never knew I was going to create content. I never had hopes and dreams of doing this. I just had takes. And so I was going to create an account called, and it actually it was created and I can't find the password. It was Outraged Jew Sports. And 
Thank God I lost the password. Right. Yeah, it's so stupid, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, that, remi God. that reminds me of uh, in the movie Airplane when he goes, "Can I have some light reading?" And she gives him a piece of paper the size that's of right. a toothpick. Yeah. It's the yeah. Jewish sports legends. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Not it's... many of those. Not no, there's like none. And I, I make a lot of these. I make a lot of references the same way every every time something comes up. I, I always go back to yeah, not a lot of Jewish guys that you know, like famous hikers or like guys that mountaineers. Like, nah, not very many. But, right, right, not many of those. No, there's <laughs> not many. But yeah, I, I was going to be at an outrage Jew sports. Thank God I lost my password. So I started this one. But to me, what's so funny to this day is I've been on with so many prominent analysts, and every time it comes out of their mouth, I just laugh because it's like it's I don't ridiculous. think they. They can't even believe they're saying it. You know no. what I mean? In the culture that we live in nowadays, like just saying it, they're like, I, can I say this? I'm like, I know. That's what's so great. Right. You can't yeah. even, you, right. You could say Jewish, but you can't say Jew. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to offend somebody. And it's right in the title. I'm like, yeah. I'm, no, I'm always, I'm always a degree away from getting banned on Twitter for it. So yeah, yeah. Can't, yeah. You know what? It's kind of, it's in vogue to be canceled now. So, you know, if yeah. you get canceled, your, your Twitter account will blow up even more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, they're going to love this. This podcast is brought to you by dynasty owner. So oh. they can sponsor a sponsor, the, uh, the <laughs> okay. woke part of the podcast. Sorry about that. Dynasty owner. Um, all right. Um, you know what? I was just, I was on a, the phone with my friend before this, and he, he's one of these guys that constantly reminds me of a bad dynasty trade that mm -hmm. I made like six years ago. And he's right. It's an agree. It was a horrible trade, but I'm just curious. Do you have one of those in your dynasty career? Just oh, yeah. a trade that you made that was just so bad. And I don't mean just mean like the result was bad. It was just like bad process from the beginning. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had, I've had a couple of them over the years. <clears throat> I mean, I remember one time I had a choice. I had a choice. I was trading a player and I had a choice with this guy. We were both really new to dynasty. Well, not new to it, but just in this league. And I had a choice between Michael Floyd or Odell Beckham back in mm. 2014. Oh, and I remember, I remember I was like, well, I'm not going to take Odell Beckham. That, that guy's not going to fire. There's no way it won't be any good. Michael <laughs> Floyd. Like I, I'm like sure of it. And I remember taking Michael Floyd and the guy was like, he's like, yeah, that's kind of brutal, man. I really wanted Floyd. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I got the win here. And then I just remember like watching things evolve after that. And I was like, wow, man, I really, I really screwed this trade up. And it's like, I look at my, I look at my process at the time and I, I wasn't using the analytics the way I am today. I wasn't looking at, you know, how we look at players coming out of college. Um, I did a startup in one league, like mm. two years after Cordero Patterson was in the league. And I had a choice between, I was at like the 206. It was him. Or Antonio Brown coming off of a hundred catch season, which he'll end up doing like six years in a row beyond that point. Right. And I was like, Cordero Patterson's so dynamic. How could he not go further? Yeah. Right. And so I, I think the process is again, I think you have to get out of your own way. I think you have to not use bias. And I think you have to really like look at the metrics. And, and if you have an analyst you trust, metrics you trust, I think you have to stick to those. I mean, you don't have to be totally rigid, but if, if you're not, you'll make so many extra mistakes by going, I'm drafting this guy. This is my process. Three, two, one, I'm drafting the other guy. Yeah, I think what happens is when you first start playing Dynasty is that you play it like a redraft player. You, yes. you don't even have Dynasty in mind. Like you're, you know, I remember like, uh, I think I, I'm trying to think of the first year. It must be like 10 years ago now or nine years ago now. And I'm drafting like, 29 year old Demarius Thomas or, you know, and, and, and Jamal Charles at age 27 going on 28 with my first pick, you know? So it's, so what do you think is like the best way in startups? Cause this is, I mean, have you done startups yet this year? Yeah, I've done, uh, I think I've done two so far this year. Yeah. 
I, I'm, this is a problem I have. I have the startup. I'm one of those guys that has startup addiction. I'm in, I mean, how many leagues are you in right now? Total. Oh man. Uh, dynasty, like yeah, tw- just dynasty. 20, 23. And, and, yeah. and they're all, they're all head to head, which is like, it's the worst. Huge it, it, mistake. Isn't it funny how we talk about this? Like we're at a, an AA meeting, like with shame, yeah. like, Oh yeah, I, I drank <laughs> yeah. last night. It's <laughs> so bad. I mean, it's, it's like, I get up on Sunday and my wife's like, what do you want to do today? I'm like, don't even talk to me. I'm like, until 10 a.m., just I gotta go. I got. I need. I need quiet. I gotta figure out who's not starting. Oh, dude! Because and the worst part is it starts on Thursdays because you have yes. to like make sure your right guys are in the the correct slots oh just gosh. in case. So it's become like it's it's become more difficult. And then you talk to your friends that are in like one or two or three leagues, and they're having so much fun, and and we're just sitting there like this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. But yet you can't stop. Like I I've, I've done more. I did four more startups this year. Oh, you're a psycho. Are you doing best ball now, though? Uh, I'm begging. Uh, huh. Of the 30 leagues I'm in, two of them are best ball. Buddy, I mean, what do you do with your free time? Do you have any free time? <laughs> what do you no, do? It's it's pretty gross. Yeah, no, well, you know, like I said, luckily, you know, uh, I'm now doing this thing full time. So oh, it's, yeah. It, yeah, so it's, uh, but it's disgusting. Like, I, I get angry, too. Like, don't talk to me. I need a couple hours. To but I'm not having fun doing no. the lineup setting at all. Okay. And that's the problem. I was, I was talking to some people about that the other day. I'm like, I'm starting to get angry. Like, I'm like, man, I got all these people are sending me trades. I'm like, what league, what league, what league did you send it to me? Like you didn't get back to my trade. I'm like, I don't know what league it's in. I'm in so many different leagues. What like, well, the worst thing. And that's why my, my list to talk to you about is like proper trade etiquette because in sleeper, right. You have most of your leagues on sleeper at this point. Yeah. I tried to put their all over there now. Right. So when someone just sends you, you got, you got to tell me what league you got to tell me, like, you know, then I have to go into there. I have to see, look at my roster. These rosters are 30 deep. So your head is spinning. Then you have yes. to go look at the settings to make sure it's like tight end two X PBR. It's, it's crazy. So do you jump into like rando leagues in sleeper? Like I, like oh I do, or do, or do you at least you have a little more integrity than I do? Cause I, no, I, I, I have way more integrity than you do. <laughs> That's there's no question. I don't, I don't jump into too many random leagues. One thing that I am going to do spoiler, um, a series that I want to do on YouTube. And I've Mm -hmm. talked to some, some of the patrons that I have about this. I want to do where I'm going to take over an orphan team and kind of show the process through like multiple videos of how you take an orphan team from the absolute pits of a league and make them a title contender. So um, that's, that'll be the next team that I add. Um, that's also not an advertisement for somebody to send me one of your teams in your leagues. I want to, I want to sneak my way into a league. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm in way too many and I don't know why you would join more. No. I, and I've been able to shed some, some fall apart, but yeah, I'm, you know, I joke, but I, I'm starting to, obviously I'm doing leagues with people a little bit more than I know. And that I can yes. trust a little bit more stakes involved, but Hey, you brought up a great point about, um, you know, we're talking about dynasty startups and you're talking about uh, an orphan team. So if someone does take over an orphan team, you know, and that leads into trade values because, yeah. You know, the, the calendar, the time of the year really depends on what the values of certain players would be. So what do you think? Are you going to strip that team down to the studs? I know it's all going to depend on it, but what, what's the first step when you're handed a big pile of piece of garbage? Well, I, that's a great point. Uh, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is you just assess the roster, right? So when you look at your roster, you start to identify, okay, what players are the type of players that I want on a rebuild? Obviously, you're not contending, so it's not in your best interest to keep aged players. So we're talking about Devontae Adams. We're talking about Stephon Diggs. We're talking about Cooper Cup. You know, these kind of guys that are pushing that 26, you know, 27, 28, 30-year-old player that have a ton of value right now, those are the guys that are certainly going to help a team win and still have immense value. But 
on your roster as an orphan roster, they're no good. They're what happens is, and you'd obviously know this, the further they trend towards the end of their career, the less the value is. So I need to get rid of them at their absolute apex of value. So the first thing I do is I look at what guys are on the roster, who's the most valuable and who do I want to keep? So if I've got young guys on this roster, you know, if for some reason I have a uh, an Acres, if I have a Dobbins, um, if I'm looking at receivers, if I have a DJ Moore, those are the kind of guys I want to build around. But if it's an absolute crap show after that, like if you have nothing else, if everything else after that is like, you know, Gabe Davis and. Oh, you think. So Gabe Davis is a crap. He's a piece of crap, right? Well, he's not. I don't want to call him a piece of crap, but like his value is so speculative, right? To some people, he's even to the people that value him, they can go, well, I know you're trying to sell him to me, but he hasn't done anything yet. Right. right? Like, so he's fuzzy guys that know that everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's worth a first. Then nobody wants to pay it. Nobody will pay it. It's all talk. It's like exit polls. So, mm. but the other thing is it's like guys like Alan Lazar, these types of players that they have some value. Nobody's willing to pay up. So what you need to do at that point is you have to decide, okay, if my, if my roster, honest to God, if my roster had very few draft picks and it was like I said, acres, Dobbins, DJ Moore, and then the rest of it, let's say was again, it was a Brandon cooks type, or it was these other players, Christian Kirk. It was Tyler Boyd. I would probably try to find a way to package some of these guys together with DJ Moore and work my way out of it. Because as much as it hurts to strip it down to the stud, as you said, you will never compete. You will never compete going year in. Even if you get the 101, you know how many 101s you have to get to like even be competitive on a team that has like starting three flexes or, you know, super flex or multiple running backs. Like you will never come back from that. So you, you have to really go, okay, I'm going to expedite this process. And to do so, I have to get multiple picks. I have to get multiple assets. And the worst part is you have to get the picks right. At 107, you don't want to take Trevor Lawrence in a one QB league. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. Good good callback, as they call Thank that you. in comedy. Yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's interesting. I was talking um, uh, on another podcast about the rebuild and the way you're describing it is the traditional rebuild, strip it down to the studs, collect young players, start from the scratch. And I think, and you correct, I think you identified that in most leagues now are not two receivers, you know, not two by twos, as I call them, two receivers, right. two flex, I'm sorry, uh, two running backs. They have like three receivers and three yeah. flex and super yeah. flex. So you need multiple players. So do you think there's an opportunity to rebuild by getting, you know, buying players that are uh, distressed assets. Like, you know, like for example, I always use Mike Evans as the example because he always, you know, his redraft and dynasty value is the biggest chasm in all the ranks. So, you know, he's right. wide receiver 29 in these, uh, in these startups and he's like wide receiver nine right. in redraft mm-hmm. ranks. And I think that's an edge that dynasty players could exploit. So is there, you think a way to, you know, maybe get, DeAndre Hopkins, now that nobody wants him and he's falling, falling, falling. It, can you do a rebuild the opposite way? I don't think so because what, what comes with age is injuries, is lack of opportunity. I, I we To your point with Mike Evans being, say, the wide receiver nine, obviously Godwin coming off of an injury, uh, the production that we saw from Evans last year on an incredibly low um, target share. But he's, what, 28 and a half? He's going to be 29. 29. I think we're really, um, we're, we're really getting – an extension on the timeline of wide receiver existence. We're getting incredible production out of guys under their age, 29, 30 year old seasons. And that used to be the apex. Like after age 27, we started to see a decline, you know, sometimes with receivers, typically by 28, 29, you were aging yourself out short of some of these high end players. 
I mean, if my roster had enough guys to start, um, maybe I would consider DeAndre Hopkins, these types of guys, but they're just too old, I think is the problem. Yeah, and he's if 30. Yeah. If you're not going to compete, you're going to end up being toast. So Evans, no Hopkins. No, like if I was going after, so I, I am an advocator for guys like Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas. I think that both of these guys play well beyond the age that they currently are. I know Keenan Allen is 30. I know that Michael Thomas is right about that same age, 29.2. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are two guys, if you're going to bet on older players that were going to be productive, that could have more years then those are the two that I might bet on. But the reality is that you have to strip it down and get younger to be competitive, but to get younger, you're going to have to pay more. And when you get younger, you're going to have to bank on getting these picks right again. Like all these guys are like tripping over themselves to draft Drake London. We have no idea if he's going to be good at the NFL level, right? Like they're, they're like giving up everything to get Drake London. What if he busts? Like if you are a dynasty team and you are hurting at every position and you acquired the one-on-one because your team was so bad and you're looking at Brees Hall and you're like, I'm not falling for it, not falling for Brees Hall, even though running backs hit far more often, I'm going to go Drake London and you miss the sting of that draft pick is going to hurt so much more because you go into the next year and you didn't, you didn't gain any startable assets. And it's like, and we've watched, We've watched players lose value. Look at Nikhil Harry. Look at David oh. Montgomery. Look at the trajectory of these two players after that draft. Nikhil Harry's value just tanked immediately. David Montgomery with a slow start, he still had RB2 value. Right. Then he started to produce, and he found himself holding that value pretty well. So that's the downside to the wide receiver game. And I'm somebody that really does believe that you either build around surefire wide receivers – which I'm not sure anybody can tell you for sure who's going to fire. Again, we've got a lot of historical guys that absolutely crap the bed, but running backs do produce the most often. So when a guy like Brees Hall lands in your lap, that's the kind of guy that at 101, I'm like, I'm just not questioning it. Because if he fires like Barkley, how many more picks do you get? Oh, yeah. No. And and I think what the common mistake is that people, when they talk about, uh, you know, why not t- take London higher than Kenneth Walker, for example, right? Yeah. I think that the problem is that they say, well, wide receivers last longer. The answer that I usually tell people is that in the startup drafts, it's it's optimal to build around wide receivers that have already proven it and are still young. Yes, it's not uh, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, you know, Debo Samuel, whether you think, you know, he's going to go up or down in value. It's good to build around those guys because they've already done it and then add the older running backs and then draft the younger running backs. But if you're just building on your rookie draft, like you said, there's probably what a first round hit rate is what 50%. And it doesn't even have to be like if London doesn't even have to be Nikhil Harry or uh, Mike Evans, he could be somewhere in the meaningless middle. You know, he could just be like wide receiver 19. He could be wide receiver 24. And then you're like, "Eh," you know, Kenneth Walker, who's RB 11 for the next couple of years or whatever. So, and the, also the, the credible rankers who are telling you say, don't take Kenneth Walker early. I'm not sure. Like, have they been in dynasty leagues? Because the cost to get a 20 year old running back. I mean, you literally have to turn your team upside down where it doesn't even make any sense anymore. So when you have the opportunity to draft those guys, you know, it, as bad as this class is and yeah. I loved your video talking about it, you still have to take those guys. I mean, none of these wide receivers at the top are surefire things anyway, just because the position's hard. The position you, is so hard. Yeah. What do you think the biggest mistake, even experienced dynasty players make in these leagues? The biggest mistake that experienced dynasty players make, um, 
Man, I, I think it's I think it's believing too much in their own process sometimes and deciding that their roster doesn't look good enough. Like it, I see a ton of guys that are competitive teams that will trade off of a Stefan Diggs to get a younger asset and they'll give up a guy that's averaging 17 fantasy points a game to move into this younger player, like let's say Traylon Burks, who completely underperforms potentially for his entire career. And now they're one less good player. I think that one thing that I found that all my best rosters look like this. All my best rosters have depth. Number one, like that's, that's always key. Like I have at least, I've always said to myself, I need to have at least one extra guy beyond my starters. Like, I don't care. I try to stay deep beyond that. It can, you know, I want two solid starters, a third guy that I like. And then after that, it could be a chase Edmonds type at the running back position. I like to have one extra guy, but then from there, I can fill in around my young players that I'm waiting on with a Keenan Allen, with a Michael Thomas, with, right? Like all these guys are so much cheaper today than they were in their prime. And I think they're still going to produce heavily. And I think the mistake that that veteran dynasty players make is they bet on their process. And I think it fails them oftentimes because like I did with Cordero Patterson and Antonio Brown, they don't take the evidence that's literally staring them in the face they decide, no, I know better, and then it ends up blowing up. Yeah, and I also think that people, like you said, sometimes they, just when they're about to win, they start trading away their players yes. for picks. You yes. know, I, I saw in the league, that you, you mentioned Stefan Diggs. He was traded for like the 102 or 103 in a league. It's just, it's nuts. I was on the clock uh, today in a draft that had a tight end premium, and, you know, Trey McBride was staring me in, in the face, and it was time to take him in a double PPR league. Uh, and, you know, someone offered me Allen Robinson for him. So to me, that's like, you oh, know, yeah. what, yeah, it's, the, that's easy. And what happened was this team was winning, you know, they, they have a good top five roster, and they're just selling off their parts. So I think that's a common mistake. That's, yeah, that's, well, and, <clears throat> And the tight end position, again, go look at look at Noah Fan, right? Yep. Look at TJ Hawkinson. Like, all these guys have been okay. They haven't been great. Goddard. But it's like, yeah, Goddard. It's like you don't need to – you don't have to chase tight ends. I mean, you can get guys for so much cheaper. And, and again, giving up Allen Robinson, oh, my God, what a win. Well, you're right, and especially off of a bad year. And, again, you know, because I never – you know, I always hear about trades like that. I never get them. Like, I'm always being charged, you know, $1.10 because I'm okay losing an actual trade to make my roster better. Obviously, sure. you know, I mean, that's that's how you got to play it. Uh, but, you know, once in a while, the, these windfalls fall in your lap. So it, it's it's pretty interesting there. What are some rules that when you go in a dynasty league, like if they have a specific rule, you're just not playing. So like, what are some must not have rules that you see commonly in some of these leagues? Oh man. Um, I mean, for example, like single quarterback league, I'm not in it. Obviously that's the obvious one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I won't play single QB. That's a great one. Like only super flex at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, of course these leagues that are still playing half point PPR or non PPR, like standard scoring format is so ridiculous at this point. Um, I my brain isn't calibrated to even understand what non PPR leagues are. Well, no, you devalue like 35% of the potential players too. It's like, you know, guys like Darren Sproles would have never been valuable in these formats, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're just banking on touchdowns. It's so boring. Um, I also won't play in leagues that don't really have any um, depth of starting caliber wide receivers or running backs. I like leagues where your bench matters in leagues where making trades for a Gabe Davis matters because the same way that not having PPR eliminates guys like James White not having more starting positions eliminates the value of guys like potentially Gabe Davis of guys like 
you know, I don't know, some of these these fringy wide like receivers. Kobe Myers. Sure, you, exactly. You want him in your, your flex three spot. You don't yeah. want him just sitting on the bench because the worst part of fantasy football is deciding which one of these six receivers belongs in your flex one. Put Start them all. Start them all. Get yeah. off the bench and start them all. Yeah, yeah. totally true. Yeah. So in so what is your favorite format then? Like, is it three receivers and two flex? Like, what if you were commissioning a league, yeah. what would you tell everyone? What's the best way to play it? So I play in some psychotic leagues at this point. So a lot of my leagues are 16 team. Well, 16 team. That's tough. 16 team, super flex, tight end premium, uh, start two running backs, three receivers, two tight ends, four flex. So it's a brutal format. Um, but I, I just like the idea that the granular assets matter. And I know to some people they're like, Oh, I hate this. I don't want to play in a league where, you know, I'm, I'm starting, you know, Terrace Marshall, or I'm trying to you know, like, I'm, I've got these fringy players, but I, I like the difficulty in those types of leagues. Um, so that's what I've been doing. But I think for most people, it's a 12 team league and at bare minimum for me, super flex tight end premium, you know, obviously two quarterbacks, uh, then it's two running backs, three receivers. I can go as little as one flex. That's like the minimum for me, though. Right. What do you think is the best way to do playoffs? Because uh, this is something, a drumbeat that I uh, I mm. can't, I, you know, I'll let you go first because I have a very specific way that I think leagues should redraft and dynasty leagues should format their playoffs. I mean, you know, we come from an era where, you know, it was the top six teams by record. And then it's just, you know, that's how it goes. I, you're, you know, do you have like a wild card? Do you like, what's your optimal way to do playoffs in fantasy football? So I hate divisions. We've done it in these 16 team leagues. And again, like if you're a bad team, you're just so screwed. If you're in a league in a division with good teams, that Mm. that's a brutal way to do it. Um, I I've, I've never really implemented this, but one that I've always wanted to do was basically, um, top, top six teams or, you know, then the highest scoring team of, of the ones remaining, um, and then I, I think it was the, t- the, the final two, but one of the formats that I wanted to do is I thought it would be cool if you took the top eight teams and they basically picked who they were facing off with. So the team, the best team in the league got to pick whatever team they wanted to face off in round one. So you could look at the rosters, you could look at the schedules and you could pick the ease of your situation because a lot of these leagues, if they don't have buys and I've been in leagues without buys, which drives me nuts. It's like, there's no advantage to whooping everybody in the league, right? You don't, there's no advantage and it drives me nuts. So I've always wanted to do a format where you kind of drafted who you were going to play. In the leagues where I commission, we actually do that. So let's, okay. you know, we, in a 12 team league, your top two teams get the buy. Yeah. And then the last, the, uh, the next teams get in by record. The last team, this is how I, I love uh, the format. The, the sixth seed is the highest point scoring team, not in the top five. Yeah. Okay. 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 And then the highest seed in each round. So in round one of the playoffs, seed three picks their opponent. And in round, so the the okay. three seed, the the first non buy team gets to pick from four, five, or six. Who do they want to play? Same thing you just said. So we yeah, actually yeah. implement this. They have it, to decide by Wednesday at noon, or else they just get seeded how it is. And then in round two, the one seed picks who they want from the remainder. Okay, I, I like it because I think it's I think it's fun to look at a roster that might have an injury at that point, or they've got tough matchups. Because the other thing is, you might pick wrong. You know, that, that might right. be the week that that team goes off, and you're just like, damn it, why didn't I just leave it like it was? Yeah, I, I like that idea. The real NFL should implement this. Yeah, I, Could you I agree. imagine like Aaron Rodgers has to come up to the podium and say, "We want the Saints," and then all. I mean, it would. 
it would be like the LeBron decision. I bet you would get huh. people tuning into this thing. It's, I mean, listen, the, the draft itself, which you guys went to, has become basically like a fan expo now, right? I mean, whereas yeah. the Super Bowl is more of a corporate event, the, the draft is a fan expo. It's for the fans. But this event where the, the playoff teams would pick their opponent, I mean, it would be chaos and mayhem in a, in a beautiful way. It would be, oh, that would be amazing too. I mean, yeah, you could, you could, yeah, face, pick the team you want. How's the weather? Like, I mean, yeah. everything would be a factor. It would be huge. Unfortunately, they're never going to go to it, but I think uh, you and I are on the, well, I think we got the right idea here though. Yeah. Never, never say never here. So that's true. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now from word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. And we're back. You know, it's funny. It's obviously I feel lucky and I love having sponsors of the podcast, but it's always it's it, when I'm listening to the podcast, right? You're just you're fast forwarding commercials, right? You're not listening to. I typically do fast forward commercials. Yeah, yeah. I, they have to figure out a better way to integrate. You know, I mean, like what you guys do with underdog, like that's a good way to integrate relevant content into your relevant sponsors into your content. So, sure. you know, spots and dots are great, but. Hey, listen, we're thankful to have them. Um, all right. I'm here with Nate List. Everybody knows the outraged Jew on Twitter. We're talking about Dynasty Fantasy Football. Uh, you know, I, I've been asking you more about strategy because people get takes uh, from your podcast and they, they know your takes. We'll, we'll do a, a few player takes here. And by the way, I have all your links in the video description below. So if you're not following Nate List, uh, he's one of my favorite followers on Twitter and definitely uh, one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels. So I've linked all that in the video description below. Uh, we, we get more, more people listening on the audio feed. So I've also linked it in the audio podcast as well. Highly advise you to do that. All right, Nate. Um, 
you just put out a video recently, which uh, I think is, you know, one of the best fantasy football videos put out this year. And it's basically taking a big hot dump on the running back class. But (laughs) (laughs) what's great, though, is that one of them's probably going to do well. And that's when, you know, people are going to hold you to hold you to account here. Mm -hmm. Um, If one of them, you know, everyone's always saying, who's going to be this year's Elijah Mitchell? I don't even want to talk about that because that's such a dart throw. Who's going to be this year's Khalil Herbert, the guy who we know we're drafting in fourth, fourth or fifth round. That's probably going to have a two or three week window that saves our season. Man, I would say it could be Pierre strong Um, with, with injuries, with the way that new England can utilize guys that have a pass catching ability. I mean, that, that was a guy that got fourth round draft capital, which hasn't at the running back position. When you're picking later, these are the types of guys that, you know, you want to throw a dart at and, Yo, you mentioned Elijah Mitchell. I had a short on YouTube uh, a few months back, and this was the guy that I comped to Elijah Mitchell, which player profiler, obviously, uh, post-combine. He just happened to pop there as well. But, you know, this was a guy that had the target share, has the rushing ability. He's incredibly explosive. And New England deploys multiple backs on any given week. Could be a different running back. I'm not the biggest believer in Ramondre. Um, Damian Harris has had some injury issues in the past, and the investment in him – Makes me curious enough, like there could be a big potential there. So that's one of the guys that I could see get an opportunity and really burst onto the scene. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought of him because, you know, in my mind, I automatically told myself a story where New England running backs get redshirted, but that's not necessarily true. They could be redshirting Kevin Harris, right? I mean, it doesn't have absolutely strong as the guy with the actual specific skill set that the other two guys don't have. And, you know, he's available. You could pick him anytime you want in the third round. And he's usually available in the fourth round of these rookie drafts. Yeah. I mean, we don't know that he's not the new James white. I mean, I have no idea at this point, but we know that at new England, they always had a primary grinding back a first, second down back. And then there was always James white and Pierre strong is like a super juice James white in that. Right. And I think that there's a chance that he could be a certain uh, a usable asset in PPR. And with one injury could probably give you a couple solid weeks. Why is Damian Pierce, a fourth-round rookie, going in the very end of the first round? I mean, to me, this very similar to what happened with Michael Carter. People were taking Michael Carter. I think I did too, like with pick 11, pick 12 last year. Is that a warning sign? I mean, Damian Pierce obviously has a depth chart that seems not too difficult to climb. But if the season started today, I mean, Rex Burkhead is the guy that I would probably want for immediate production. I know Marlon Mack is there. He's actually, Marlon Mack is probably the most accomplished guy uh, on that roster. Why do you think Pierce with the the draft capital is, is being elevated past first round wide receivers? Well, I mean, Damian Pierce is one of these guys that's, uh, you know, I called him, I called him half speed Chris Carson. I mean, he's not <laughs> the greatest athlete, but he has enough in his athletic profile to profile to be a player that's that's usable in fantasy. He does have a soft landing spot. And the thing was, this guy was a monster tackle breaker. He was incredibly elusive per PFF's metrics. Um, and what he got for, he was borderline third round. He just barely crept into the fourth round. But I think it's the fact that he landed in Houston that propped him up so much. Um, but he's a guy that I think, the I think the depth of the running back position, I think the lack of trust overall um, in in some of these fringy later receivers, just the curiosity that is, I think some people are already afraid of the guys at the top. We don't want to miss. And then you look at these next group of guys, and I think there's concerns about them as well. Um, but I think it's being pushed up primarily because of landing spot. But this was a guy that did have pretty you know nice advanced metrics when it came to yards after contact, um, you know, explosive carries, things like that. 
So are you, if your position, let's just talk, you know, the, you're not really supposed to draft in dynasty for, for need. You're supposed to take the best player available, but obviously sometimes you're at a crossroads. So you want to fill that need. And we just talked about how running backs, young running backs are nearly impossible to get. So would you tell people that it's okay to take Damian Pierce ahead of Jahan Dotson? No. And that, cause that's happening in these drafts. Uh, no, because I, I absolutely wouldn't. And the thing about that is that people that are drafting Damian Pierce, you better be ready to flip him. And I, again, that YouTube video that you cited, that's, that's totally the point that I illustrate. Like if he blows up at all, you have got to get him off of your roster because the likelihood that he's going to have any longevity versus a guy like Jahan Dotson is like, that. that's a ridiculous statement to even, to even make number one. I, I don't think most people believe that. I think what's happening is, People aren't using enough foresight. They're, they're looking at Damian Pierce. They're looking at some of the advanced metrics, the, the deep metrics. They're looking at where he landed. And you made a great point. We don't even know if, if Marlon Mack plays like the Marlon Mack pre-injury. I'm not sure that Damian Pierce gets much outside of maybe goal line work because he's got this bruising capability. But he was even underused in college. So it's not like he has this robust profile that he was this you know overly used player in college. He was quite underused. So... I would not tell people to take him over Jahan Dotson. I think Dotson has a, a way better profile. He has significantly better draft capital. But again, his situation's not great either. Yeah, every year there seems to be a round one wide receiver that people just don't want to take in the first round, and they'll they'll pass him over for for fourth round running backs. I mean, it was Brandon Ayuk a couple of years ago. It was Kadarius Tony last year. I mean, every single year there yeah. is that player, and you know, first round wide receiver. Of course, you're going to have Jalen Rager. You're going to have Henry Ruggs. You're gonna, those things are going to happen. But for the most part, those guys are going to get opportunity after opportunity. Uh, this is the craziest year for, you know, everyone's, oh, it's a crazy year. But it is a very interesting year for rookie drafts because there's no consensus. You know, I've been in probably nine rookie drafts so far, and the, the board is just all over the place. I mean, there's day two running backs, Tyrion Davis-Price, going after round four running backs, Zamir White. So what, what, do you, what do you think it is about San Francisco running backs? I mean, nobody wants... Elijah Mitchell's not getting the value that he returned last year in trades. You, you can't, you know, trade him for an early first. Uh, Trey Sermon, nobody wants anything to do with in startups. And now Tyrion Davis Price is going in round three of rookie drafts and he was picked on day two. Right. What do you think it is? I mean, the answer is in there somewhere, right? Like, who, who do you think it is about the San Francisco running backs that all of their prices are depressed? Well, I mean, it's, you know, obviously you go back over the past couple of years, there's been a committee backfield, like yeah. every single year, it's a committee backfield. And then the story that people tell themselves is they're like, ah, it's not this year though. There won't be a committee <laughs> this year. And it's like, you get caught in this trap. Um, and, but price was one of those guys. And I think I bashed him pretty good on that video. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in price at all. I mean, he was a guy that, uh, that compared to compared to Damian Pierce, like his elusive rating on on PFF was like 110 points lower than Damian Pierce, who again, and Damian Pierce is like he's running in sludge. Okay. He's not, he's not a fast player. So I get that this guy was a great athlete. And I listened to uh I listened to a, a Shanahan and uh Spacen right now, who's the uh the you talking about Mike uh the the San Francisco yeah, coaching yeah, yeah. staff? Yeah. Who's who's the OC? No, uh totally uh, Lynch. Totally okay. spacing oh, yeah. right okay. now. And they were talking post draft and they were going over the players and they kept mentioning Sermon and they kept mentioning, you know, this backfield Elijah Mitchell, they want him to be the guy. Mm. And Price just seems like a really great athlete that was sitting there at the time and the, and they mentioned him sort of amongst this group and I'm just getting the sense once again 
that it's going to be a backfield by committee. I don't think anybody short of injury is going to get their opportunity. And that's exactly what they said. They said that they were pulling guys off practice squads from other teams. They couldn't even mm. fill starting spots. And I think that's what it was for them. It was a total depth pick. He got selected with three picks before Damian Pierce yep. and people are treating it like he got some like incredible draft capital bump over Pierce, but it was literally three picks. Right. Yeah. It's funny. You say that. Cause like there's this arbitrary line, third yes. round, fourth round. Yes. Like, it's not there. The tiers of players expand across that arbitrary state line. I mean, think about it. like there's in the United States, there's state lines, right? Those are arbitrary lines, but right. on one side of that line, you can gamble on the other side of that line. You cannot gamble. It's right. It's yeah. very bizarre. And we, we have signed these labels and third round draft capital. And I, you know, I didn't realize that they were that close in, uh, there's in, in and pick uh, pick gap right there. Well, they're so close. And to your point, people are like, I bring up Michael Pittman, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are like, oh, Michael Pittman was a wide receiver too. I'm like, well, that's because he missed wide receiver one by nine points last year. And it's like, you call him a wide receiver too, but he was like, he was like a 60 yard catch and some change yeah. from, from going over it. And he, I think he missed a game. And it's like, th- these lines are so arbitrary, but the yeah. best part about it is, and I tend to bash a lot of databases. There's a lot of guys out there that are doing, they're doing the Lord's work with the databases, right? Um, and they have this arbitrary built-in like fudge factor boost knob. And Tyrion Davis Price, he gets the boost because he wasn't three picks later than Damian Pierce, where he get a little notch backwards. There's no, there's no variance to it, right? And it's just so rigid. It's like it's like hours on a clock. And again, I think this is the reason in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, as we're coming down to the end here, I just want to give you a couple rapid fire questions. Uh-oh. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, yes. I'm out on him in the first round of, of dynasty league. I mean, are you okay? Where are you going to be with him in a dynasty startup? Uh, he's right now he's going in in super flex leagues. He's going about the middle of the second round, like two, five, two, eight. Yeah. I get him every time that I have a top five pick. Nobody seems to want him in redraft leagues. I don't think I'm taking him. I'm just totally avoiding him in the first round. Uh, I understand why people are doing it, but where are you going to be on McCaffrey this year? I'm really high on McCaffrey. I mean, when you're looking at like a dynasty format, he's still a top, top seven, top six running back to me at, you know, just under 26 years old to be 26 this year. But Christian McCaffrey, I mean, people forget it's like he has two, he has two pretty big injuries that cost him um, a lot of time. But the player that we saw before those injuries was unlike basically any player that we had really ever seen in NFL history. They're like, two players you might even be able to put into consideration with him. This is a guy that was, there was of the three seasons prior to 2021, he averaged 30 points a game, 29 points a game and 24 points a game. Like he is a difference maker at the position. And in dynasty, I still have full faith. I mean, this is a guy that clearly takes care of himself. I think that what might happen is we might see the workload get pulled back a little bit. Like if you want to make an argument for Christian McCaffrey, I'm not, I'm not listening to the, the injury prediction. I, I I don't have an injury predictor app. I don't try to predict injuries. I don't right. draft players based on the idea that what if so-and-so gets hurt, but with Christian McCaffrey, there's so much upside as a pass catcher. And I think the evolution, and again, this is me telling myself a story. I think the evolution of McCaffrey is that he becomes more of a receiving option over his career, a little less of a rusher. And maybe those targets that we've seen in the past that have been as high as, you know, what, 100, 140 targets or something yep. like that. Maybe that persists and we see him maybe even with potentially more targets as like a slot receiver type role. 
Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, he could become in the later part of his career, like a Danny Woodhead. And, you know, even at 28, 29 years old, be giving you RB 12, you know, still inside that RB one cut line, you know? So, you know, I never, I never really gave that some thought. Uh, It's just that he was getting crushed in between, in between the tackles, I guess. And, you know, he's not built for that. Uh, It just in, so in redraft leagues, like in best ball leagues, I'm sure you're doing some underdog stuff. Are you taking him uh, as the second pick? Yeah, I'm still I'm still in that same boat. That's is that about where you are? Yeah, I mean, I again, I was I had been fading him, but I think like I, I, once I start fading someone too much, and then the consensus is one way. I don't purposely fade public. I start saying, okay, what if I'm wrong? What you yeah. know? It's just yeah. there's so many good options. I always say you can't win your league in the first round, but you certainly could lose it. So yeah. when he's sitting there and it's like Cooper Cup or him, or if it's you know Najee Harris, like I'm okay taking Najee Harris second, not because I think he's going to finish his top three back, but I know he is not going to lose me my league, and that's in best ball specifically. I just want that first. I, I don't want any. I mean, anyone can get hurt, but the probability of him getting hurt feels less. I could be totally wrong. We thought that about Derrick Henry. We thought he was indestructible until. You know, it actually happened. So, um, all right, a couple other things. There's people, I just want to switch over to a little bit because I see it in Dynasty Leagues. It probably makes more sense. But in best ball leagues, people are still drafting Alvin Kamara and Chris Godwin. I mean, complete fade, right? I mean, I want to check with somebody else in best ball. You, you can't take zeros for like six weeks like that, right? I mean, well, yeah, Kamara is speculative. Yeah, speculative. Yes. Yeah, he's going to be suspended most likely. Godwin coming off of the injury. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I, w- I would try to avoid those injuries and, and the suspension at all costs. Okay, and then Deshaun Watson, what's your best? I mean, nobody knows for sure. Uh, I, I think they're going to come at him a full year, and then you know he'll have to work his appeal from there. What do you think is actually going to happen? Man, I, God, I it's you know I've I've just, listened yeah. to some analysis on this. Um, I think he gets eight games. Yeah, um, I think that's where it gets settled. You might be right. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be an appeals process no matter what. But I think like at minimum the league will feel good about the choice that it made if it gives him eight games. Yeah, and that's why, because I see Amari Cooper starting to get pushed up, 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 and the, yeah. the rationale is that he's connected to Watson, but you know, I think that you have to bake in six and a half missed Watson games, and that's it's either going to be eight or zero, right? It's not going to be, you know, they're going to, my, my opinion is they'll give him a full season, he'll appeal to eight. But the other thing, and someone brought this up, is that they may troll him. Right, they may give him no suspension this year because of how he uh, did his contract with the million dollars year, and come at him next year with a suspension. Yeah, so it actually costs him thirty million plus. That would be that would be interesting. I mean, I I don't know how that would go over with the fans, you know, right. and, and the people that are taking this uh, much more personally. If they were like, oh, you know, you didn't handle it in the the moment that it mattered. But then again, those are probably the same people that would love to see him get hit in the wallet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I so if there's one rule in the NFL, real football, that you could change, like you can wave your magic wand and change mm. an NFL rule that might make the game better, or just like a little tweak. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. That's why I'm, I'm filling some time. But yeah, just a are. little tweak. Through. It doesn't have to be like this overarching rule that revolutionizes the game, but just one little tweak in the NFL game that you would like to see. Oh, is man. there anything that comes up? And you can you can pass on this. You don't have you know. I'm putting this. I should have given you this question ahead of time. I did not. Yeah. No, so there's okay. one thing in the NFL. Uh, I mean, you know, like when you talk about this with when I talk about this with baseball guys, they say pitch clock. You know, that's always the thing. Baseball, speed it up. So yeah. what in the NFL would you like to see done a little bit differently? I well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 
little different direction here. As somebody that that uh, is is really into tech, I am absolutely driven nuts by the fact that we're still spotting balls, you know, um, mm. by referee eyesight rather than than dealing with the technology that exists. Um, I think it's changed a lot of games. Um, I think a lot of things get missed when you're doing it like that. So personally speaking, I would like to see them go to a more accurate format. I know you mentioned pitch clocks. They do that because the game is just going on too long. And I'm frustrated when I see a basically bad spotting. When I see, you know, they're pulling out the chain. Like the referee will arbitrarily spot the ball, but they'll bring the chain out and they'll show like yeah. two inches. It's they like, put the credit card in there. Yeah, Remember the credit yeah. card? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. It's so funny that they tr- they tr- they try to portray this like very in control measured game where they've got the yards and, and game inches. of inches. It's yeah, called the exactly. game of inches. Game of inches, but spotting is so arbitrary. So to me, I would like to see them correct that because I think it's one of the most frustrating parts of the game. Yeah, no, I, I like that too. And you know, you ever see like you watch tennis? Like you see like um like when they show the ball on the end line yes. on a hit, they could do something like that. I guess the problem is when you get to the goal line. I mean, you know, I was thinking like you put a chip in the ball, so obviously if the goal if it breaks the goal line, the, yep. the thing lights up. But yep. the guy could be down, and then he reaches across, the chip yep. would go off. Yep. But it's uh so all right. Here here's one. Tell me what you think about. It. I have a rule change here, and. So, you know, like when they're backed up on like their own three yard line and, and the offense gets a penalty, they move them half the distance to the goal. Yeah. Right. It's a, there's almost no penalty for having a penalty. Right. So what they should do is they should reverse it. So if you're on your own, like, say, three yard line and you get a penalty and it's a 10 yard penalty, move the first down marker 10 yards further away. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a good call. Right. Yeah. Why I mean, aren't they doing that? <laughs> no, <I'm bad. laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had time to think about it. That's so, mine yeah. too. That's a good right, call. You can use yeah. that one. You can yeah, use that that's one. a great call. Holy crap. Right? I mean, why are they moving one foot for a 10-foot penalty? So. Because it's not. This yeah. wasn't, you know, no offense to the people that play it, but this wasn't a sport that was built by, you know, mathematicians and scientists. <laughs> and it's like, I think that it's evolving into this very, you know, math-heavy game. And you've got people that are tracking all this information and data. But it's still at the, you know at the end of the day, it's still a very brute game in a lot of ways, and I think they're still evolving. Two quick questions, and I'll get you out of here. Let's do it. Who, who's a player you want in every rookie draft after the first you know five or six guys are off the board? Who's someone you're proactively interested in? Ooh, um, after the first five or six guys off the board, yeah. Sky Moore. Um, Sky Moore is a guy, and he's right there. He's fringe. He's like six seven in a lot of uh, no, super flex formats because there's no quarterback up there. I mean. Pickett is right in that range, depending on who you are. But most people drafting Kenny Pickett are going back and forth over him and Sky Moore or Chris Olave. They just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I've, I've been taking Pickett a little bit earlier than the field. I've been taking him ahead of those receivers. It's just that Kenny Pickett, if he's bad, like I'm yeah. saying, if he's bad, he's going to be the starter for two years. And sure. even if he's bad, that's 14 fantasy points a game, right? Sure. I mean, that's yep. I mean, that's if everything goes wrong. And if he's okay, if he's Daniel Jones's you know, rookie season, then he's going to be a starter for three years, three and a half years. And it's just like, you know, if you were ranking Kenny Pickett amongst the wide receivers, he'd be like wide receiver 10, right? I'm talking about like the re- the the actual real wide receivers. So uh, even as a, a, a flawed prospect like that, I think there's a case to take him ahead of the Burks and London's. But I know that that's just not where you have to do it. You move back a little bit in these drafts. All right. Uh, in your in your best ball leagues, who's somebody that you uh, give me one or two guys that you can add in the last rounds right now that you just you know 
that could help score for you a few times. I, I always have trouble getting my last round darts. And, you know, for a while it was Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then I stopped, you know, I looked at my, my portfolio. I had 100% DPJ. That's no good. Uh, so one or two guys in the last round. Uh, right now I'm doing Paris Campbell. That's the guy I've been adding in the last round. Yeah, um, Paris so, Campbell's a good one. Are you uh, are you on Van Jefferson at all? Ooh, I'm not. That is a good one. Yeah, that, Van Jefferson feels like one of those guys that has. A, we've seen him make some really big plays in that offense, and I, I you know, you got to look at the fact that some of those guys, those receivers, are getting older. Um, you know, who knows how much Cup holds up? Who knows how much Allen Robinson potentially holds up? But I would say that that's a guy that I really like. And I don't know what your thoughts are anymore on a guy like Corey Davis. Um, I love love Corey Davis. We don't know how this offense shakes out. Everybody wants to believe that that first round guy is going to, going to, you know, show out in a big way. But again, Nikhil Harry was supposed to be the guy. And then Jacoby Myers showed up and just like ate his lunch. So, yeah. It, I mean, straight up, I'll, anyone that wants to make, you know, like I always say, like anyone that wants to make the bet that Garrett Wilson will outscore Corey Davis, I'll take the Corey Davis side or whatever you need, you know, it's, yeah. and he's going, you know, what round like 14 or 15 of these drafts. Much later. Nate, you've been generous with your time. I enjoy you. I want everyone to go follow Nate Liss on Twitter. All his links are in the video description below. Or if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, uh, which many of you do, uh, you can get all of Nate's uh, links in there. Nate, what else do you want to tell people? Anything else that you're working on right now with the YouTube um, channel? nothing, nothing outside of the YouTube. YouTube is truly where I'm putting a lot of my time on social media. You know, I'm having fun. I'm trying to come up with, uh, you know, innovative tweets and stuff like that. But all my... All my efforts, all my most creative, funny uh, ideas are are right on YouTube, and I'm continuing to put out stuff every week. So go check that stuff out. Keep doing it. You appreciate. I like all the B roll you're using in there. It's 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 working, man. Thank you. You, Do you pull the audio out and have a podcast too with that? Because I I was thinking I was that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. It's not a bad idea. I mean, the question is because some of my videos are only like 17 minutes, so I don't know if that format works. Uh, Okay, Uh, that's you know what I mean. yeah, that's something. Yeah, you know what? It could work. It could work, but it's, you know, it's just more platform because yeah, you know, yeah. I listen. So the other day, I'll tell you how I consumed your video. You know, I have my on my when I'm riding my bike outside, I have the little you know thing to hold your cell phone. Yeah, and I just keep the audio on, but I have the YouTube playing. Yeah, so I'm listening as if it was a podcast, and I'm sure okay. others like me. So okay, yeah, I'm giving you more work assignments. Is it still do. consumable like that? I mean, did it work doing yes, it that way? Because every time I heard like a B-roll, I would stop, have to hit rewind. I realized <laughs> this is a visual medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it works way better as that. But you know, like I said, we have only so many hours in a day, and I, all the stuff I want to consume. I so. love it. Yeah. Yep. That's all right, everybody. Uh, good luck in your rookie drafts. We'll be back next week. We we have Jordan McNamara coming on next week to do some dynasty talk as well. Um, all right, everybody. Have fun. We'll see you next week. Doors, doors, the sun goes down on my side of town. That lonesome feeling comes to my door. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.